Hi, I'm Merv Von Sethi, or Merv from OKM and Denim, and you're listening to the Denim Hunters Podcast. Welcome to the Denim Hunters Podcast. My name is Thomas, and I'm your host. Whether denim is your passion or your profession, or maybe both, this is the podcast for you. Denim Hunters is a blog-turned-consultancy platform. We direct denim business through insights, creativity, and action. If you have a denim business and you'd like to know more about how we can help you grow it, go to denimhunters.com forward slash work. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate that you're listening. And I have a small favor to ask of you to help me grow this podcast. Would you share it with five denim heads you know? Ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are also more than welcome. And don't forget to subscribe to get notified when new episodes come out. Alright, we're almost ready to get to the interview. But first, here's the FAQ of this episode. Alright Murph, so uh, first of all here, um, what are some of the most frequently asked questions that you get? Well, one for sure is... Um what is on samphorize? Samphorize versus in samphorize, uh, mm. raw versus one wash. Um, we have a couple blog posts uh, on on the site explaining these. Also, an infographic that explains the differences. Um, but simply put, an unsamphorized jean can be one washed, and a samphorized jean can be raw. So I think that's a big question people ask. There's a lot of confusion that revolves around uh, the sanferization process uh, and the shrinkage and the stretch. Uh, so that's definitely a big one. Um, and I guess this is super important because you're an online retailer and people want to know if they can get the right size when they buy from you. For sure. And uh, as you know, anyone that's taken a gander on OKM and Denim, we stock a lot of raw, raw denim. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so people... You know, people definitely there. There is that. Um, how do you say there, there? It can be nerve-wracking purchasing online. So we respect that, and we try to do what we can uh, to alleviate that stress with size charts and whatnot. Another big question that people ask um, is, do you ship to our country? Um, mm. Last year, we shipped to over, I think it was like seventy-three or four different countries. Uh, this is two thousand nineteen. Um, yeah, so we definitely have a global footprint, um, and we want to continue. Uh, doing that more um, is reaching people in obscure places and sharing Japanese denim with them. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer or ask my guest in a future episode, you can submit it at denimhunters.com forward slash questions. You can send it in as text, which I'll then read out, or you can record it as audio, which we can then play back on the podcast. Just remember to state your name and your Instagram username. All right, Murph. So uh, it's uh, a big pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this um, this interview um, because, first of all, uh, we don't get to talk that much. And also, you don't do that many interviews. So I'm actually very excited about this. Um, so, so yeah, thank you for, for coming on the show. No, same, Thomas. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Um, I still remember when we met, what was that, like five years ago mm-hmm. at the first CC show in Yokohama. 
but we had we had talked before that um online for a long time i think we started out around the same time yes uh i've been doing this for close to nine years i think for you it's something similar yes um i feel like we were just kids back then and <laughs> yeah so much has changed now yeah we both got kids you've now. got kids yeah. <laughs> exactly i've got kids yeah um yeah things have changed and you know like for me um just everything we've always done is about relationship the brands we work with the collaborations we put together um mm-hmm. you know the people from those brands it's always about human relationships and yes. uh, i really respect and appreciate the human relationship that me and you have had through mm-hmm. all these years you too. which is why yeah, you this uh this interview and uh you know being on this denim hunters podcast is so important to me and well, i'm looking forward to it as well man well that's uh that's a good way to start i think but um so Merv, let's back up a little and uh, and let the listeners get to know you a little they may have seen your face they surely know your company and uh, and probably some of what you do but let's just back up uh to 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 who is Merv really and so so tell the listeners uh what it is you do where you're from your origins and uh yeah that that personal bit of the story sure thomas um cool uh who is Merv um so Uh, I run uh, Okayama Denim, and okayamadenim.com is uh, we're an online uh, e-commerce store, and uh, we specialize in Japanese denim, mm-hmm. um, and we celebrate Japanese denim, all things uh, indigo, um, coming out of Japan. Uh, obviously, as per the name, most of the products that uh, we source and sell, as well as produce with the brands in collaboration, are in Okayama. And, um, of course there's exceptions to that rule, whether it's footwear from Kurume or whether it's uh cotton Jersey or loop wheel garments from Wakayama or whether it's, you know, mer- merino wool sweaters from Gifu prefecture mm-hmm. or, you know, leather craft from North of Tokyo and Tochigi. Um, you know, there are variations or there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, we strictly You know, we sell products from Okayama and strictly sell made in Japan products. Mm. So even though some of the brands that we work with may uh, produce some of their garments or, or part of their collection outside of Japan, uh, during our creation curation process and, you know, when we're doing buying, um, we'll avoid those uh those products which are not made in Japan okay. because we just figured it's a really easy way for people to understand who we are and what we do. Yeah. Like you go to okayamadenim.com, you're going to get Japanese products which are made in Japan. Um, and it just made it very clear cut and easy to understand. And it really sticks with the ethos of, of what the company is all about. Like, um, you know, having been born in Japan and raised in Japan, um, using local products mm-hmm. and celebrating uh local craft and local culture is very important to me so you know whether it's the cameras that we shoot uh the products for the website on you know they're all fuji film um you know wherever we can um the water tumbler i drink from it's, it's made in japan like whatever these are all small examples but uh wherever we can we try to support local companies and local brands um just to kind of feed into that whole made in japan ethos yeah that uh 
that we run our company by. That's really cool. But um, but Murph, so I guess one of the things that struck me when we first uh, met and when, when we started talking is that you're obviously Japanese, but you also speak like perfectly English, and then you don't look like most Japanese. So so I think what's the story there? For sure. Uh, sorry, I um. I kind of sidetrack with your last uh, no worries, no last, worries. Uh, question. Uh, <laughs> just getting into the uh, that was the pr- about yeah, that was the profession part of it. I mean, but, but uh, yeah, the origin. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's also something that that I was curious about, uh, and I think the listeners will be too. No, yeah, for sure. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I uh, so I was born in in Kobe, Japan. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a smaller city. It's next to Osaka. Uh, populations like I think one and a half million or a little less than one and a half million uh, right now. But um, yeah, um, I'm a third generation Indian uh, or Sikh Indian, mm. uh, which is a religion from North India. And my grandfather moved to Japan in 1952. Uh, he came here from Delhi, and he came soon after um, the end of. Uh, Uh, um, colonialism in India. Yeah. So after the British left and the division of India and Pakistan, which happened in 1947, yeah. and a few years after that, he sold his business that he had there, uh, packed up kind of uh, his life really, and um, he moved to Japan, uh, and um, he started a trading company. And ironically, his company that he had has nothing to do with Okayama Denim. Uh, but he he was a textile trader, hmm. so he started a trading company that imported uh, and exported fabrics. Um, he was importing silk from abroad and exporting Japanese cotton. So um, hmm. it was uh, it was interesting. He was doing that originally, and um, he did that for a long time. And um, they were they were uh, um, trading fabric, I think, until about 1988 or 89. Um, until they they switched business models and and changed their business, but yeah, my family was into uh, the uh, the buying and selling or the trading mm-hmm. of uh, of fabrics for for a long time. And, um, and then you told me you went to international school in Japan as well. That's right. Yeah, so I went to school uh, a school called Canadian Academy, mm-hmm. and Canadian Academy is um, is an international school. There was like i think when we when I was going there, there was like seventy different countries represented. Wow. Um, we had uh, I think I had like twenty or twenty plus nationalities in my class of like fifty kids. Whoa! Uh, so tiny, tiny school. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting, really fun uh, going to school there because uh, you're in Japan, but you have a strong like, global exposure mm. because. Um, You know, there's a lot of kids from different countries, and a lot of them are coming and going. Um, you know, they'll come for a couple of years, and then you know their father or mother's assignment uh, in Japan ends, and then they leave, and then a new family comes. Um, so it was always really interesting. I, you know, we're one of the few families that you call long-term expats, or you know, we're we're here for the long haul. Yeah. Um, so. And the, so yeah. And then um, you went to study in, in the U.S. after that. Yeah, that was generally a natural course of action. Um, if you went to international school, um, 
was to, you know, either whether it's the United Kingdom or the United States or Australia or Canada, um, you, you go to, uh, university abroad mm. because, uh, the options for English medium university education in Japan is like, I think there's one or two options, okay. uh, in Tokyo, maybe more now. I'm not familiar because I haven't studied the market, uh, of, of colleges that offer English courses, but at least when I was meant to go to university in 2003, it was, it was a handful yeah. uh, of places that actually offered, um, English medium, um, university education. So, but I mean, you also do speak Japanese, uh, I guess, right? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, you can yeah, hear from when you pronounce and, uh, the city names, for instance, that is like, okay, that's the, I guess that's the right pronunciation. Uh, you live there, you're third generation. And even though you went to international school and had all these, uh, classmates then that were international, you know, you can, you speak Japanese too. Yeah, definitely. Well, let me backtrack a, a little bit, if I may, and yeah. just be completely transparent with you. Like, you know, when when people say, like, you can speak Japanese and you're fluent in Japanese, like, uh, you know, a third grade level of le- reading Japanese uh, or fourth grade level, I believe, is is three, two or three thousand characters uh. to be fluent in Japanese. The Japanese language has uh, close to 10,000 uh, kanji characters. So I'm lucky if I know a few thousand. So I speak very well and I can communicate with the factories, with the brand owners, um, uh, verbally and, 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 uh, get everything that needs to get done, done. Um, and my written thanks to newer, you know, applications, uh, and auto types and, and whatnot. Uh, my written Japanese, uh, my point can be, uh, put across, uh, you know, cordially and, you know, without any issues, without any mistakes, but to call myself fluent, I would be lying to you because I, the Japanese language is so complex. Mm. It's so layered. Uh, there's so many nuances. Um, one character can have multiple pronunciations and multiple meanings. Um, it's, it's definitely, um, at least for me, someone that's not native, because although I was born here, uh, at home, my parents would speak English to us. We went to international schools from, you know, as soon as we went to school, age four. So, mm. um, I wouldn't call myself native Japanese. Um, but because I've been here for so long, because I've had Japanese friends, um, for so many years and because I conduct my business, in Japanese on a daily basis. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's good enough to, to manage. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Certainly better than mine. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I don't know any Japanese, so, so yeah, anything's better than that. But, uh, but Merv, let's, um, let's get to sort of the denim part of your story then, because you, you were studying in the U S uh, that was when you were in your early twenties. Um, and then, you started your business in, you, you, well, the idea started in 2011 when you did, uh, when you did a thing you can talk about in a bit. Um, but, but before that, you were already into, to denim, to raw denim. Uh, tell, tell the listeners about, about that, how it started with your denim passion. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, 
at least, especially during the nineties, uh, the mid nineties, early, mid, late nineties, there was a, you know, there was a big movement of Japanese denim and it, it was, there was a very rich local culture, uh, of Japanese denim and, uh, the market was still, uh, really hot. So it was a product that people were buying a lot and a lot of brands were putting out a lot of great product and it was, uh, it was available. So even as a 14 year old, um, you know, obviously I had to seek it out and, you know, go to the right stores and whatnot. But, uh, in Kobe, there's, uh, there's an area called Kokashita. Kokashita directly translates as, uh, beneath the tracks. But there's a, there's a shopping arcade that runs between two stations that has a lot of cool, like clothes and, uh, you know, uh, eateries, little more local eateries and, footwear shops and that sort of thing mostly apparel and you know you had your your boot shop that that only did had bread wings and chippewas and uh you had your denim shop like the one i'm referring to is tiger brothers but there were several of them you know you had nylon there which is um the company that is uh the original the original uh real mccoys you know what's the real mccoys now uh so they had a bunch of these uh, americana uh or you know, vintage inspired stores. And, and one of them that I just mentioned was Tiger Brothers. And that's where I got my first pair of real Japanese denim. Um, it was a pair of sugar canes and I was hmm. probably 14. But, uh, I mean, if you really think about it, like, like if we get really technical, I probably had got a pair of Japanese jeans even before that, because hmm. like we have, we have a, like, how would I, Trans, how would I explain that? Like Daie is a, is a retailer. It's like a supermarket, but you can also get everything from like, you know, any type of apparel to, you know, camping gear to whatever you want. It's like, you know, a multi product store. It's kind of like Walmart, but more condensed. Mm. Uh, but anyway, um, as a kid and better quality, uh, I'm sure. Uh, I, 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 I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would, I would, yeah, I would, I would hope so. But, um, um, anyway, yeah. yeah, with, uh, with the brands that were available there, there was always Edwin. Edwin was always relatively inexpensive and readily available and they were made in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember they used to probably be about, if my memory serves me correct, like 50 or $60, five or 6,000 yen. Wow. Um, yeah. and I remember my mom used to buy me, buy me those because that's what my dad used to wear as well were edwin jeans mm. uh, and it was just like easily inaccessible and um yeah i mean that i probably was even younger the first pair of those was maybe eight or nine um but i wouldn't have known any better like i didn't know that i was actually wearing raw no, no. denim at the time you no. know and when i was 14 it was different because i kind of seek seeked it out um because I, you know, discovered it through friends and in a magazine. And I wanted to know more about it. And I was like, oh, this is made in Japan and it's a local product. And once I got into it, um, ironically, like, obviously the fades are, fades are incredible. And, and, you know, like, you know, we do it for the fades. I just, we put that in the, on the, uh, on our, um, on our new tags, the Yokohama denim tags, the garment tags that are going to go into all of the 
collaboration products and products we put out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you flip that over, it says do it for the fades on the back of it. So obviously the fades are a big part of what we do. But for me, what really drew me into um, Japanese salvage denim and raw denim were the details. Just like the the, the sheer amount of um, meticulousness, just the 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 attention that that um, attention to detail that was placed in so many different aspects of the gene itself. I mean, you know, one pair of jeans can take over ten machines just to construct um, the raised belt loops. You know, the puckering on the leg opening. Um, the the buttons the hidden rivets the just the list goes on and on but um that's that's really what um drew me into japanese denim in a big way and to this day what still keeps me interested and what really keeps me inspired to keep going is um you know obviously we want to create denim that's going to fade incredibly and when we do yarn selection when we're down in okayama uh, developing new fabrics. That's a big part of what we're focusing in on. But, um, but the details are just as important, you know, whether it means, whether it be like bringing back, uh, samurai's hidden arcuates, um, you know, getting all of the collaborations that we've done with them, uh, with line back pockets. One of my favorites is the Wagami pair that we just put out, which has, um, uh, kimono fabric lined into the back pockets, hmm. you know, fun things like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's these little details, um, that, uh, Japanese salvage denim or raw denim has that I really appreciate personally as a consumer. And, um, that's what I really want to share with people, you know, our clientele or our, our people who are interested in Okayama denim product. Mm. Okay. So, so tell tell me the story of how it all started with Okayama denim. Oh man, um, <laughs> that's uh, because you th- uh, there was this charity project that you told me about yep. that that happened exactly. So so, so that's mm-hmm. how it started. And what was that project? Yeah, no, I was I was um I was hesitating for a minute because I want to give you the uh, the real deal, like you know how it all really went down. Okay, and, uh, give me the real. Deal. I guess I haven't really yeah. Uh, talked about it like this before, but actually when the, the great, um, earthquake and tsunami of 2011 hit, uh, Tohoku in, in 2000, March 11, 2011, um, I was actually in the United States at the time on the day or the actual time that it happened. I was supposed to fly back the next day on the 12th, but my flight back got delayed a few days because, uh, just everything was kind of up in the air. Um, you know, they were talking about, uh, trains not functioning, radiation, just a lot of conversation, uh, that raised a lot of question marks. So I pushed my, um, my return in Japan, uh, back by a few days. And, um, on my, uh, on my way back, uh, to Japan, I mean, I'd already started to, to, to think about it, but, um, I was really just kind of, um, brainstorming, like, what can I do? Uh, what can, you know, within my reach of, of friends, uh, within my reach of, 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 um, contacts, what can I, uh, put together to help this cause or, or do something that can be, 
uh, progressive and productive. And uh, what I came up with was literally on like one of those airline napkins, uh, drew out like uh, a bracelet. And the inspiration at the time, what was really trending were those Lance Armstrong, or I guess a few years before that, those Lance Armstrong um, yellow live strong strong bracelets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those things. I mean, this was before his doping scandal, but anyway, um, the, uh, you know, those, those were, it was something that united communities. It's something that brought people together for one cause. And similarly, I wanted to use a Japanese, uh, material and, um, sell it outside of Japan and bring the proceeds back to Japan, kind of like in this cyclical manner. In, in order to help, um, help the, um, help the redevelopment, uh, process in the little way that we could. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, that was, uh, that was in March 2011 when I came back, uh, thought up this idea of a denim bracelet, sketched it out on that napkin. Um, I think it was April 2011 when I just got into a car and I was still living in Kobe at the time. Um, And, uh, I, I drove to Okayama, which is less than 200 kilometers away. And, uh, that's generally always how I commute to Okayama. It's from Kobe. I'll take a car and drive down there. So I drove down there that first time, uh, without any contacts, without any information, without any real, you know, set goal, only that I want to try to meet somebody. I want to try to make, um, make something happen with denim particularly in this scenario of fundraising and and, and trying to get this project off the ground mm-hmm. so that first day i mean i i went uh i drove down to okayama with one of my best friends from childhood uh we just we he wanted to go for the adventure and i wanted to look for someone that could help me take this project off the ground uh and um i ended up uh in pure blue Japan store, hmm. uh, on that very first day that, uh, that I went down there, obviously I was familiar with the brand already. Uh, but I didn't know that, uh, you know, who the owner was, uh, wasn't familiar. And, um, that day in 2011, when I walked in, uh, to the store in April, 2011, it was a Sunday, I believe. And there he was, EY Assam was, uh, standing there and, um, we got to know each other a little bit. We hit it off. Um, You know, he told me he was the owner. I was surprised. I proposed in my idea uh, about these denim bracelets. And I mean, he was actually the the person that helped bring that project to life. Hmm. So um, in many ways, uh, even today, I mean, we have a very uh, a strong um, relationship with the Pure Blue Japan brand. And um, I think it, it goes back to what I was talking about in the very beginning when we started this in is that it's all about human relationship and, um, you know, in, in, in trust and, and transparency and, uh, working with EYSAN has, has always been, uh, mutually beneficial. I would say but for both of us, we've both grown in many ways, uh, over the last, uh, few years. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always thankful, grateful and humbled that, uh, that he was willing to, to help me out uh, at a time where he didn't really need to. So how did it go with the project? I mean, and it was called the Okayama Denim Project, right? 
That's right. So uh, the Oak Game and Denim project, uh, it did fairly well. We 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 got picked up by a few blogs, you know, places like uh, Hypebeast mm-hmm. at the time was still a much smaller uh, news platform. Um, you know, places like that, a few stores in London and New York picked up the product. And we had uh, a website, okayamadenimproject.com, at the time was that was strictly retailing just the bracelets. So I think in total, um, we produced five or 600 of those. Um, we managed to sell all of the bracelets. Um, the bracelets themselves were packaged in a chopstick cover, which uh, I really loved. Like that mm. was like, you know, our entry onto the scene. I just wanted to bring that, you know, Japanese sensibility together with the design and the packaging. Uh, so, you know, we just had fun with it and put it out there. People appreciated it, liked it. Uh, I want to believe that they wanted more uh, of what we were doing. We started talking with um, uh, the brands that are represented on Gene Street in um, in Kojima and essentially, you know, came up with this idea very organically of taking the brands which are available um, on Gene Street in Kojima and, of course, a few others that are not that I personally really appreciate and respect and bringing those brands online in one place um, with a well-curated collection of products that we thought would work really well in the international market. Mm-hmm. And essentially, that's what it is. It's it's taking really well-made products that are made in Japan but may not be marketed or represented well and and um just doing a better job of of bringing it to people in different countries around the world and um showing the the potential the international potential of this local product yeah yeah because i mean when you started out what was how would if i were to if i wanted to buy a pair of japanese jeans uh, being here in Denmark, for instance, or anywhere outside of Japan, and those jeans weren't f- available for retail. They didn't have any distribution. I was like, I, I, it was more or less impossible. I could go to Rakuten, for instance, or I could go to some other places like it, but you know, it was, it was difficult. I mean, uh, I guess so, so, so I guess you saw an opportunity there to, to make it easier and to make it more available, uh, for the international market, right? Uh, yeah, definitely, Thomas. I mean, uh, in terms of a business model, um, uh, I believe, um, and if anyone, uh, I'm, you know, can correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, in 2011, in the second half of 2011, when we were building the site and when we actually launched the site, uh, in January of 2012, we were the first, uh, denim retailer from Japan selling Japanese denim online through our own uh, platform, Mm -hmm. like not selling on a third party portal like eBay or, or Rakuten or, or Yahoo auctions or whatever it may be. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was the whole impetus for that was probably birthed when I was in, in college in the United States. I, I, I studied in Boston. I lived in New York for a while and, um, you know, those are pretty major cities, but, Still, Japanese denim was hard to come by, and, and when you did come by it in those places, it was uh, it was grossly overpriced. Um, just 
to be completely candid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, part of what, uh, what I wanted to do, just knowing what the true value and worth of the product is. And not only that, seeing that there is, um, the local industry itself in Japan, particularly after I started working on the OKM and Denim project, things weren't as rosy as I had envisioned. Like the, and, and the, the actual ecosystem of, of Japanese salvage denim in Okayama has been shrinking over the years, right? Like factories have had to close down, uh, the population of people that are actually suing and milling the, the, the denim and the jeans, they're aging, uh, less local people are coming into the industry to help, um, to help maintain, uh, the level of quality that we've all become used to. So what's happening now is that there's, uh, there's a rotation of, um, of international labor, um, that's coming in to help out with, uh, the local production. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of probably one of the only ways that we can sustain this moving forward. Um, as you know, uh, you know, Japan is, is one of the few countries in the world that has negative population, mm. uh, we're supposed to lose a third of our entire population in the next 30 years. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a growing concern, uh, across the board with, um, uh, with many of the people in the industry and, um, and yeah, I mean, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we, uh, it's something that we all discuss uh more often than not so, so as to what where the future of this is headed and i mean yeah. you you go out to the factories and you see this with your own eyes i mean uh maybe not on a daily basis but you go there right um but tell me more about i mean i'm, I'm curious now these these um so you you said that there's, there's people coming from outside of japan to help work there but where where did they come from then yeah i mean the uh the industry is um the, the industry has definitely shifted in the last few years. Um, and, uh, there's workers from China. A lot of them work on, um, on work visas. So they're never here for more than three years. Um, some come from China, but more recently you hear of workers from Vietnam, uh, even from Myanmar, uh, Burma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, generally those are, those are the places that they're coming from other Asian countries and um and i mean that that's not that's not the issue that they're from somewhere else i guess the issue is that if they're only there for three years you need to sort of you need to train them you need to make sure that they can you know provide they can they can deliver on the level of quality that you expect and then after three years they have to go back and you need to train some new people uh, i guess that that must be a big issue well yeah i mean that's i've been saying that for years um but that's 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 probably the biggest uh biggest problem that uh that we were having now we've starting to mitigate that issue more by um by visa extensions mm-hmm. and also there's a process of um you know when your visa runs out you go back uh to your home country for one two maybe three months and then you get a new work visa and a lot of the 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 great workers um they they get their visas reinstated and they're back here um in Japan after a couple of years. So yeah, I mean ideally uh having local workers 
would allow for a more steady workforce in that they wouldn't have to come and go. And you would be less worried about rotational or seasonal workers. Um, that being said, uh, Japan, you know, the government also understands uh, very well this issue of the shrinking population. And so they're, they've done what they can over the last few years to put into place uh, laws that uh, make it easier for international workers to come and work in Japan. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, look, this is nothing new. Like we, all right, let's take Louis Vuitton, for example. You might buy a made in France purse, but that purse could be produced by, a, you know, and wherever that person is from, like whether that person be from China or Turkey, uh, it's not made by a Frenchman, you know, a Parisian or a yeah. Frenchman. Yeah. Uh, the same way, obviously, there is a strong allure of Japanese denim. And, um, you know, uh, to be completely cr- candid and transparent, like, yes, yeah, some of the times it's produced by a Japanese person and some of the times it's not. But at the end of the day, the processes and uh, the workflow um, and you know, the way that the actual company works is going to be quintessentially Japanese. And um, Thomas, these companies are really old school. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and with the whole coronavirus and COVID-19, this pandemic, uh, the world, and I think Japan itself has opened its eyes to how backward Japan can be. Like we, we still use fax machines across the board, which <laughs> to me is ridiculous. And I try to avoid that as much as possible. Uh, I refuse to get a fax machine in our office, mostly because all the convenience stores, which are really convenient. I mean, you've been to Japan, so you know, mm-hmm. they're like on every other corner. Yeah. Uh, you can just run into any convenience store and uh, send a fax out. So in in the situation that we absolutely need to send the fax, we can go to the convenience store and send the fax. But I, you know, uh, there's that. There's also the... Um, the concept of inkan. Inkan is a personal seal. It is the equivalent of a signature, and you stamp that onto paperwork to confirm your identity or your signature. Mm. Now, with all of this remote work and working from home that's been going on with the coronavirus, a lot of the time there's people that do like, you know, day-to-day paperwork in big companies or uh, whatever the situation may be, the inkan or the personal seal stamp is used across the board for for anything. It's your signature, right? Whether it be on bank paperwork or your phone contract, whatever it is. So when people aren't interacting, you can't really use that personal seal anymore. And that became a big topic of conversation in Japan. And uh, now they're talking about kind of making that personal seal or that ink on redundant. And my point is that there's certain aspects of Japan that are incredibly old school. Mm-hmm. Like it is, you know, you could come to Tokyo, uh, you could go to Roppongi Hills right in the heart of the city. And yeah, it could feel like Blade Runner. Like, you know, you're in 2050 and everything's really futuristic and modern and clean and nice. Um, but on the same token, like, you know, you come to Okayama with me, come come on a factory visit. In fact, I'm going tomorrow. I mean, you know, if I could show you what that's like 
how those factories are operating. And I think particularly because we're talking about shuttle looms and Toyota machines that are from the 50s and 60s. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's vintage as, you know, it's vintage as vintage gets like it. yeah. it's old school. And uh, the way the companies are run is old school. Uh, transactions are done on the phone. Or uh, fax. A lot of handshake, <laughs> or fax. Uh, a lot of handshake deals. Uh, a lot of personal relationships are what move uh, move projects forward. Um, mm-hmm. So some people may find that frustrating. I personally, having been here as long as I have, and having a having a personal, you know, I personally really enjoy those relationships, creating and building on those friendships and relationships. So it works for me. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Having been to Japan, I, I can recognize uh, what you're saying. I mean, we went to uh, to see um, Mount Fuji uh, on our way out to um, from 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 Tokyo to Kyoto. So we stopped there and we we stayed out. And there was uh, there was some it was bad weather, so there was not a lot of people. I think there was also some activity. You know, there was a what was it earthquake something going on. So there was not a lot of people. But we got out there and. It was, I mean, there was one convenience store that was open. The, the hotel we were in, we were the only guests really. So we couldn't eat there. So we had to go out in the streets and, you know, find this back alley, little private restaurant kind of thing. It was, uh, so yeah, I mean, that experience just, okay. I, I know what you say, uh, about it being old school when you, when you get out of the big cities. Um, very, very, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. That's the whole concept of Japan though with the dichotomy. It's 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 a it's you know, it's there's there's two sides to every situation and it's also what makes Japan so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh both to live as well as a place to do business. Hmm. Interesting. So we're actually already getting uh, towards the end of this uh, interview. I mean, I, I do have a few questions left before my uh Last question. I always ask the guests the same last question, so we get that as the last one. Um, but but you know, going back to Okayama Denim, the, the the online retail store that you built, would you in a, like try and describe how is it actually different? You know, from from other online denim retailers or denim retailers, even in general. Sure, um, I'll try to answer that the the best that I can, Thomas. Um, well, I I believe in transparency. You know, I believe in in running a business that uh, that that is um, honest and efficient. And um, part of that is delivering direct from from Japan, and we're able to shave a lot of external costs without having a a physical brick and mortar, and just focusing on online retail because we didn't want to spread ourselves too thin. We we knew that. We can't do everything, and there are certain things that we're good at. And uh, one of those things happened to be e-commerce. We learned that early on. Um, so rather than pivoting into brick and mortar or doing things that we're not professionals at, we focus on what we do best, which is uh, which is e-commerce. Um, mm. And beyond that, I mean, you know, we're really uh, particular about um, the way that the product is presented. So we develop, you know, we do all our own copywriting. Uh, we write up uh, all of all of the texts in-house. We take all of the photographs in-house. So as much as we can maintain control over 
the way the content is presented um, is is very important to us. You know, I always say this, like, I want OKM Adenum to be more of a museum than a store in that people can come and, and experience the product and just look around. Granted, a website's never going to be a museum because it's not physical, but, you know, people just to come online, you know, take a gander, learn, read through the sales text, find out more about these products, about the production techniques. Um, that, that really, you know, for, for me is, uh, what makes OKM a denim special, uh, and what makes it different. Also, um, a big thing that we've done, um, in the last year and really it accelerated since, uh, coronavirus, um, has, uh, has, you know, become a norm in all of our lives, um, is, uh, is our service. We, we really, really focus on, on the service and the shipping process as much as possible, um, to, to perfect it. And, um, yeah, uh, most of our packages now, uh, go out on DHL, you know, we're overnighting to most places in the United States, two days to Europe. Mm. And, uh, I'm really proud of that. Um, I, I think that, um, that's, uh, level of attention that we try to give each and every one of our orders and each and every one of our clients. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's really all we got. And that's our, uh, that's our, um, strong point. So hmm. we just want to continue doing that. Um, also, I mean, uh, a big part of, uh, okay, I'm a denim's, uh, growth and, you know, whether you want to call it strategy, you know, um, is fine for me. It was just, a very organic process, but our collaborations. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask that we, next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we've um, we've been pretty aggressive uh, with the collaborations, and and um, we've been really moving forward on on uh, developing you know fabrics to s sewing techniques, uh, to packaging, to delivery. I mean, uh, the whole process. Um, we've been working on over and over again with all these different companies to try to perfect it and make it better. Um, but the most fun has just been, been able to put in details into, you know, the otherwise basic or standard offerings from these brands. Um, you know, uh, whether it be taking a standard, uh, fabric that Samurai has been making for, for many years, they're 15 ounce, um, denim and, and making our collaboration with it, but adding a bunch of details and, um, you know, aspects of the gene that aren't readily available on their standard line or, you know, developing the matcha salvage with samurai jeans or before that, you know, developing the kakishibu, uh, denim with, uh, with pure blue Japan. All these collaborations, they give us an opportunity to do things that sometimes I feel, at least creatively, um, you know, we get boxed as denim retailers. And the, the collaborations just allow us to have fun. I mean, you know, go back to one of our first collaborations for denim ever, and it's the Sapphire Slug. And what drew me to that and why I, I love those jeans so much is the pop of, of, uh, of that weft. Um, and it brought a smile to my face. And similarly, I want these details and I want these aspects of 
the jeans to bring smiles to people's faces. I want them to enjoy uh, the details and and wearing them. And hmm. yeah, I mean, do you, that's do you know how many collaborations you've done over over the years? Honestly, I have no idea, <laughs> but, but it's a lot. I know it's over fifty wow. for sure. Yeah, but uh, and you can always go to okayamadenim.com and go to the Okayama Denim Plus hmm. uh, under brands, yeah. and you can see most of our collaborations. Not all of them are there, uh, but uh, many of our collaborations are there. Yeah, but I mean, uh, from a from a business perspective, it's 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 brilliant. I mean, to do collaborations, isn't it? Because you you. I mean, it's just like going to, I mean, not to compare, but it's the same thing if you, if there's a certain item you want from a store and, and, you know, if it's a supermarket, whatever it is, you can only have their own brand and, and you like that item and you have to go to that store to get it. So, so I, I mean, for that alone, it's brilliant to do, but, but for what you guys do, being able to actually go out and, and develop, you know, uh, the, the denim from scratch, even that that's next level because, and, and not to say anything negative about other collaborations, but mostly what you can do if you do a collaboration is obviously you can, you can change minor details. Uh, you might be able to change the fit, right? Or something like that. But, but mostly it would be, I mean, the simplest collaboration could be just having a, a different patch on it and you could call that a collaboration but yeah i mean it's yeah there's obviously different levels so so um yeah uh very impressed by that but what you yeah what you're doing there yeah i mean impressive or not i just want to keep keep doing like keep having fun and keep bringing things to people that they're going to appreciate like Mm -hmm. when we see when we hear feedback via email or on instagram or you know, photo reviews on the site, whatever it may be, like getting that feedback, getting that happiness, people appreciating those collaborations for the small details and then wearing them and then wearing them to hell and and seeing those fades after a year or two. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I and, you know, we're we're niche, you know, we operate in a niche, niche uh, economy and, and we're a niche company and we're not trying to sell to the world. Like, you know, I'm not trying to be Uniqlo. Like none mm. of us, we 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 wanna we wanna maintain this this human relationship with a small community of people who actually forgive my French, give a fuck. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So so I have one more question, and then it's the last question. And 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 this one is I don't know if if you can answer if you even want to answer. But what is your favorite brand? <sighs> <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, I mean, uh, what is that like? Brands uh, amongst the brands that we carry? Well, yeah, I, I guess you carry the ones that you like the most. So yeah, but <laughs> it's like I know it's like picking your favorite amongst your children. I mean, and now having two myself, well, no, I know I was, that's impossible. So well, I was trying to, I was trying to completely, uh, completely sidetrack on your uh, question and be like. I love Snow Peak, uh, and you know, obviously we don't care. We don't carry them, uh, but that's just a great Japanese company that's always putting out incredible product. Well, that's uh, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, from from the brands that we carry, um, I love all of them for different reasons. And I know that's a really diplomatic answer, um, and it might not be what you want to hear, but. I literally love all of them for different reasons. And which is why even when we do collaborations or when we curate the product 
that they've produced, um, we're able to pick and choose. And each brand, whether it be, uh, you know, Stadio d'Artisan, Studio d'Artisans, um, playful nature of always, you know, their salesman jeans. They have like four different fabrics all mm-hmm. stitched together on one pair of jeans. Uh, or their matcha collaboration they did with us. They're always willing to have fun and we can do interesting and fun things with them. Pure Blue Japan, like texture, texture, texture. It's, you know, the jeans, the fabric they put out. It's, it's incredible. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's the, it speaks for itself. Um, uh, you know, everything down to their construction. I mean, run your hand over a raised belt loop of Pure Blue Japan. Like their construction details and fabric is in terms of that combination is one of the best I've seen ever. You know, uh, take Momotaro. Um, they're always having fun with their design elements. Uh, they're willing to, you know, break out of the, the Americana a little bit and, in, you know, how do you say cross um cross into other genres mm-hmm. of apparel which is which is fun um you know you got brands like kamikaze attack they were just lovely people with an insane name that makes you question what the hell is going on and that's fun too mm-hmm. um so yeah man i love all of the brands that i carry for different reasons um and I hope that we can just continue working with those brands and continue bringing what they're doing in Japan uh, to the rest of the world, to to people that care. Great. Well, yeah, that was, I guess that was the question, the answer I was expecting to that question. But, but you know, I, I totally understand what you, what you mean there. So, um, so now it's time for, for the very last question. And, um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I asked this to, to all, all the guests on the show. And, um, just, uh, obviously this question is hypothetical. You know, it, it's just, you know, I, I want your reaction to it, but, um, oh, here goes. If your house were to burn down, it is burning, and your family or your pets, if you have any of those, all of that is safe outside, what would you go back in to save? Hmm. Uh, so, so okay, the the loved ones are all outside safe, yes. but it's a physical, it's a physical item. It's something, yeah, something you want to, I mean, it could be, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a physical item. Smartphone, bro. Of course. I mean, <laughs> I'd go back and get my iPhone. Well, you can get a new one. It's it's all in the cloud, isn't it? You know, but yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. Good point. Yeah, it's all in the cloud. It's all in there. Uh, I guess that's uh yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's the one thing I think about. But if we're not talking about because, you know, if I was not able to get a new one, because uh, it's the situation sounded like it was like the end of the world or whatever, but. If if I was able to get a new phone, then if it was a physical thing that I would have to get to pull out, um, it would probably have to be um, my first collaboration that I have in the closet, the ODMJ001. Hmm. Um, it's like the first collaboration I ever did. It's like 2014, I think. And it's with Momotaro Jeans. And I still have one piece left from that run. Uh, that I wore a little bit of, and and uh, I have a memory box of okay, I'm and denim stuff. And I mean, if there's one thing I have to grab, that'd probably be it, you know. Because mm. um, uh, 
those garments, they carry a lot of sentimental value for me because when I pull it out, not only do I remember the, like the time that it was released, but all the, the thoughts about what went into the design process, the product itself, when and where I wore it, those memories are very special. So yeah, yeah I would have to say uh, some of the earlier design collaborations that, that uh, we did, one of those would be the thing that I would run it back in and get. Cool. Well, good answer. Well, Merv, that uh, that brings us to the end of this interview and this episode of the Denim Hunters podcast. So the very last thing we need to make sure that we do is we tell the listeners, if they haven't figured out by now, if we tell them where can they go and get in touch with you? Where can they buy your stuff? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, they're always w welcome to hit us up on, um, on the site. So www.okamadenim.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we're open, you know, 24 seven. Um, you can always hit us up on the live chat feature, uh, on the website, which is on the bottom right hand corner. Cool. We love if you guys hit us up on there, because we can immediately get talking to you. Uh, obviously we need sleep. So, uh, <laughs> the feature is not always, uh, running. Um, but you know, whether it's, uh, about from 8am to 8pm Japan time, you could probably catch us on there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, You can always hit us up via email, info at okayamadenum.com, uh, Instagram at okayamadenum. Um, it's probably a pretty good way to get in touch with us and see what the new release, new releases are, mm -hmm. new stuff we're, we're working on for the future. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, that was uh, it for this episode. Uh, so once again, Murph, thank you so much for taking the time for, for to do this uh, to do this podcast. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, learned some new things that uh, that I hope the listeners will enjoy too. Not at all, Thomas. It's been uh, it's been my pleasure. I'm I'm glad we finally made this happen. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, this uh, this pandemic has allowed. Uh, our schedules to kind of slow down a little bit and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy we made this happen. I hope people enjoy it and uh, yeah, look forward to doing it again sometime. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thank you and um, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. You've made it to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a future episode. And if you want to get more content about denim, go to denimhunters.com.